We all want to work in a positive atmosphere. I know that from working in the field 20 years, I have worked some places that were not positive. But today, our topic is just that, and I am digging into a conversation with Dr. Ellie Kazemi. Welcome to Autism Outreach Episode 144. Today, we are talking about aligning our values, being an active listener, and that connection matters. If you don't know Dr. Kazemi, she is frequently sought after as a keynote speaker who inspires change and creative solutions. She has worked on various international projects and very large scale efforts as well. She's the founder of a successful self-supported graduate program in behavior analysis, and she is an entrepreneur as well, the owner of her own company and provides executive coaching innovation advisement, and training. She's a leading author of Fieldwork and Supervision for Behavior Analysts. She is really a wealth of information and is a bright and positive spot in the field. I'm excited for you to listen to our conversation today. You're listening to Autism Outreach Podcast, a podcast full of ready-to-use strategies to help those with autism strengthen their communication skills. Here's your host, Rose Griffin of ABA Speech, a speech therapist and board-certified behavior analyst who shares tips you can use in your next therapy session. Thanks so much for joining us on episode 144. I can't believe it, 144. We have a great episode for you today. We have with us Dr. Ellie Kazemi. Thanks so much for joining us. It's amazing to have you on. It's very nice to be here, Rose. Thank you for having me. And we connected over on LinkedIn. That is my favorite. It is a social media platform, even though it's more professional, it is still social media. And there are so many BCBAs over there that I've connected with um, and have had on the podcast. So that is where we first connected. But I was telling you before I pressed record that I am online a lot because I have an online business and I see your picture everywhere for doing a lot of presenting and and talking. And I really admire all your work in the field. So I'm excited to hear more about exactly what you're doing and kind of how your journey started. So for those of us that are new to you and your work, can you tell us how you got into the field and kind of what your journey has been so far? Sure. Um, You know, you know how these things are. You begin to talk about your journey and you realize some of the things that um, that really you hadn't thought about before that have influenced you just because you're getting an opportunity to talk about it. It leaves a lot of room for self-reflection. And so I'm, I'm really, you know, humbled by the fact that I was on a very different journey in, in some ways from behavior analysis. I was doing um, my doctoral work in clinical psychology. I was really interested in assessment Um and, uh, you know, research methodology was my jam. Uh, but during my doctoral training, um, I was also working with individuals with learning difficulties, those with anxiety and depression and tension deficit hyperactivity. And my mentors were individuals who were working in mental retardation and um, some were working with individuals with autism. 
So I had this really beautiful uh, opportunity to work with individuals who actually were working with Michelle Wallace and colleagues at Cal State Los Angeles at the time. And I had a student uh, who was someone that was uh, older than me, wiser than me, and yet was my mentee at the time um, to help with my dissertation work, who had then been trained by Michelle Wallace. And she introduced me to behavior analysis through these gentle nudges of, hmm, Ellie, you know, you're really much of an empiricist. Have you considered this? And she really uh, brought me to behavior analysis in this palatable, beautiful way where I would find the technology sexy and some of the things that she was mm -hmm. offering me rather than this, this is this is what I do and this is the best thing to do. And honestly, she changed the course of my career by doing that. Oh, that's amazing. I love that. So are you so tell us a little bit about what is your current I know you do a lot of training and you do a lot of keynotes and talks. What is that mostly what your work is comprised of now? You know, uh, that is, uh, I am, I'm much of a problem solver. Mm -hmm. And so I love working toward things that are innovative, um, and require problem solving. So I think that that makes me um, kind of run to different types of activities where yeah. I'm needed. I was uh, working with an accrediting organization, BHCOE, for some time, helping oh, with yeah. evaluations and standards. Mm -hmm. um, in my own research, so I'm primarily a professor at Cal State Northridge. And in, in that work, I get to mentor students and I have Oof. an active research lab and supervision and so, you know, if I were to say what, you know, what are the areas I'm most interested in, it would be mostly innovation, technology and supervisory oh. and leadership type of work. Oh, wonderful. Okay, that's great. I actually own a, a small business called Supervision Academy, and we provide remote supervision to people who are struggling to find a supervisor. And funny enough, because I have an online business, I'm on all the social media platforms. So I started, I'm on TikTok, and I started this TikTok for Supervision Academy. And I get, we get emails every single week. I haven't put up a new video in one whole year, but it is so very hard for people, number one, to just find a supervisor. And then number two, all of the stories that I hear about the supervision they've been getting or who hasn't gotten back to them about supervision, it's people are really struggling to find supervisors. So I know that you wrote a book about supervision. Yeah. Um, and it's just something that's really changing so much. Even in the, my time, I've been certified as a BCBA for 12 years. And just seeing the field grow, it's such a growth rate that all the changes in supervision um, mm -hmm. over the past 12 years have really changed. And I think it's just hard for some people, if it's not your main thing you're doing, it's hard for people to keep up with all the things they need to be doing to provide that supervision experience. So it's neat that you um, specialize in that. So today, I know we're going to be talking about um, a couple of things. And one is creating a positive work atmosphere, which I think is so important and something that we um, talk a lot about in May we did an ASHA and ACE course with Kate Nasuti, who is a BCBA and yoga instructor. I think I was like, oh, yes, I like this person. And she talked about um, burnout and just creating a positive work environment and act. It was kind of an intro and people really loved it. We did this exercise together as a group. And I was like, I feel very relaxed after this training. That's not always the case. So nice. um, it was really fun. Um, so can you share how having shared values and open communication can create a positive work atmosphere? Mm. Yeah, I can. And that that there's two different components to that. So, 
you know, I think that uh, most of what we know in the burnout research and in creating a culture um, that really provides a positive environment. So individuals feel like they are in a place where they can grow and that they feel safe. There's psychological safety for them, but also a place where they feel like this is a part of something I want to make bigger. So they're invested in the growth of that in, you know organization mm-hmm. um, are places where they feel that their values are shared. Mm-hmm. Um, and, you know, people report this as a part of what's important to them, uh, meaning when they speak with leadership or when they hear about new policies or changes or directions, they want to hear why those things are occurring. And so I think to answer your question, how do we do that would be more about our messaging. That's where I think our communication matters, because I really think that there's probably more alignment than disalignment when it comes to our decisions in the field. I have yet to meet someone, even if they came to us from a school of nursing, even if they came to us from you know, the Long Cancer Society or even individuals who are, you know, investors, I've yet to hear someone come to the area of autism and really not care about what we're dealing with here, with the number of individuals being diagnosed with the number of individuals that are not able to get the services that they need. I don't know anyone who comes to this field without a desire to make a difference. Mm-hmm. Yeah. You know, and I think everyone has that in common. I think it's how we message and talk about these things when we're under stressors or when there are so many contingencies upon us for push and pull and press this lever and make this happen and put out that fire that those messaging can get lost so that individuals that work in an organization don't feel connected to the reason that they joined to begin with. And I think that that's really important. And, and, uh, you know, leadership training and supervision training, because when you have direct staff, they're reporting to individuals they're hearing from. And if there is a mismatch about those values, they'll feel it. Mm -hmm. And then when you have wonderful supervisors who are hearing from their leaders or clinical directors, that same messaging is important. So appropriate messaging of information so that people feel connected to a shared value is really, I think, an important aspect of this. Yeah, that makes a lot of sense. And probably something I do think because the field is growing so rapidly, and sometimes clinics are growing so rapidly that having these fundamentals, like us just talking on the podcast, we're like, yeah, that makes a lot of sense. But I know that I've worked in places where that has not always been the case, or places you can see as they grow, they're trying to be more cognizant of making sure that messaging is really cohesive and just trying to remember our why. And and sometimes there are a lot of things that are happening when you're in the trenches, and it's hard to it's hard to remember those things. I love that. Um, So how can we... Burnout is something that we've um, talked about a lot here on the podcast um, with speech therapists and BCBAs. I'm duly certified, so we have both professions that are listening in. Um, But I think both can relate to um, this message as it just being something that, you know, we're in the trenches, we're helping people. So how can we reduce that burnout in, in team members who are providing those services? You know, I think that this is an important issue, and I would say it probably applies to a lot more than BCBAs, speech and language therapists. We're at a time where we're watching this occur within the medical profession. We're watching them, particularly post-COVID, come out of this, you know, and it's not post-COVID, but post the time that COVID is resulting in a major crisis Mm -hmm. within our hospital settings. And you're really watching everyone sort of come out of that area of, um, you know, things have been tough, things have been tough to an area of 
I'm I'm over this. Like I can't take any more of this. And we're watching that happen to special educators. We're watching most helping professions step and say, you know, something needs to change. And I I think that the Harvard Business Review put out this wonderful graph where they showed if you look at turnover rates and resignations, we have had this fallacy as a society that it might be, you know, it has something to do with COVID, but actually it didn't. This was Mm. a clear trajectory of growth of turnover. We're just Mm. experiencing it because during COVID people were holding on to their jobs and they were worried Mm. about not having them. And so, you know, when you look at data like that, it tells us something has been brewing but now we're at a place where people are no longer taking it. That's really, we're at that breakage point. Mm-hmm. And, you know, I have I do a lot of leadership coaching and I am really obviously invested in helping with organizational culture. Yeah. And I have to tell you, it sounds really odd when I say this, but when conflict rises and brews to the top, I'm most excited. <laughs> this is the time I know shit's about to change. Um, <laughs> yeah, right. I'm sorry. I, I no, that's good. We won't bleep that. that. We won't bleep that. <laughs> I, 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 not to be named BCBA said the F word. We did have to bleep that. But I, in my real life, I do cuss all the time. So that is totally fine. Yeah. <laughs> Keep going. I like it. She's yeah, in a, she's in know, a vibe. We, yes. We, we've got, we've got, you know, we know things are about to change uh, because yeah. when conflict rises to this level, we're going to move to some conversations. Mm. And if we can have transparent, open conversations about what the solutions may be, it actually pushes for change. It pushes for getting closer and understanding each other. And I think that that's where we're at. I think that we're seeing this time because burnout is stress that's been endured for some time. Yeah. So obviously Mm -hmm. this is not new, right? Right. So why are we talking about it more now? I would say it's because people are more vocal about it now. Uh Some of it may be because COVID made us question our priorities. Some of it may be because that time gave us time to self-reflect and say, what really matters to me? You know, and that may be a part of this brewing up. But I think that it's beautiful because we're at a place where people are like, something's got to change. Um, And we know from the literature and looking at nursing and medicine, you know, that they've been dealing with this for some time Mm -hmm. and that change is not going to be on one level, meaning we know we have to make some organizational changes, Mm -hmm. some process changes such that people can be in those systems without feeling burned out as much. We also know that there's going to have to be some individual changes, trainings like the one you were speaking of, like Mm -hmm. mindfulness, teaching people better time management skills, Mm -hmm. helping them identify better ways to self-care and turn things on and off. And so Mm -hmm. I've been super invested in really finding ways because that's my area of helping individuals grow those component skills to be able to really become resilient and survive over time especially (laughs) as someone who cares about recruiting the best into our field and bringing talent you know you can imagine the last thing I want is to provide them with all of these different trainings and mentorship only for them to burn out in in two to three years right? right so we definitely need to change the game but I think where we are which is beautiful is we're being heard from both Mm -hmm. sides. And I think organizations are ready to make some changes, which Mm -hmm. is why I'm, you know, super excited about some of the talks I get to give lately, because I Mm -hmm. get to give voice to the individuals who are saying enough, but I also Mm -hmm. get to really focus on solutions, which is where I, where I get really excited. 
Yeah, that's that's exciting. I do like that part of ACT. You know, I've taken lots of trainings on it, but don't use, utilize it in my daily life. But I do like the talk of values and just that idea of, you know, what are your values and are they aligned with what you're doing? This is this Kate Nasuti who I, you know, I actually I connected with her on LinkedIn and she did this talk for us. She's just really, um, I'm really big into reformer Pilates. So anybody that's like a yoga and teacher, I'm like, oh, I and a BCB, I'm like, yes, I like this person. Um, sure. But she said, you you know, she was a clinical director and, you know, just where she was working didn't really align with her values. And so now then she started her own thing. And so she's just in a better place, like overall professionally and personally because of that. So, and I think sometimes I, I think some of these things that we're talking about are kind of new. And if you're newly certified, maybe you haven't really even heard of those things, but I think it's good because sometimes you may be in a position and you may think to yourself, I don't know what's going on here, but this doesn't feel right, you know, or I'm not happy. And how do I, you know, get through this or how do I make it um, um, better so that, that you're happy in your work environment? Um, so what are your top tips for creating work environments in which everyone grows, feels safe? And this is a very important one, feels appreciated. Mm -hmm. Well, I think first is that open communication and transparency. Um, you know, I have been very surprised when I'm within organizations, when I speak with direct staff, when I speak with supervisors, and then when I'm dealing with, you know, executive leadership, that, you know, what they want is similar, but they actually don't know that about each other. Where they have come to is to see each other's differences, to feel frustrated with not being able to move things to the direction they'd like to see. So I think one thing that needs to really happen is we need to engage in a lot better active listening of each other mm -hmm. to be able to move to a place where our shared values are very clear because they're there. Um and I think that if we can work back from our whys, we can begin to work better with each other rather than really focus on our differences, where is, which is where I think we've been uh, mm -hmm. and where we've kind of become stuck in mm -hmm. some ways. Um, and then I think that, honestly, the other thing is that we need to get more creative. Um, I think what has happened to a lot of healthcare um, is that, you know, you get individuals who are highly competent. This happens to medicine as well. This has happens to, uh, you know, psychology. We get trained. We come out. We're excited. You know, I was just speaking to a group of forensic psychologists. They're in the trenches. They're working right. as in correctional facilities where... They are absolutely likely to burn out because of the stuff that they see. And what have they been trained to do? Be most competent, provide evidence-based treatments. And where they're feeling the burnout is not being able to feel like appropriate agents of change because they're in large systems, you mm -hmm. know. And so when when we kind of think about what are some of the things that we need to be able to change is we need to also train our wonderful individuals that are entering how to be resilient in large systems. We're all changing. We work with insurance companies that's changing our game from what we used to do a few years ago before insurance became the primary provider of services. Mm -hmm. And that means that we're going to have to be patient and kind to each other as we figure out how to make this work to the best that we can and, you know, have our new funding organizations, have our new partners 
really see our value as providers, but also to be able to to do that without creating so much chaos for ourselves. I think that currently we're in this in this like learning and change process that's creating a lot of chaos within uh, the field. And I think that that's that's something I'd like to see changed is for us to go, wait a minute, we've moved to these contingencies. We're all human. We are absolutely going to move toward what it is that's required. But can we re-envision this? together and think about how we could do this service under these models in a way that actually takes care of our humans because they're the individuals that are providing the service, right? They're important. Yeah. Yeah. So much has changed. I was just talking um, to a fellow colleague who had their own um, ABA center at one time, and we were talking about insurance and just how the reimbursement rates have changed. And Mm -hmm. I think speech language pathologists, I mean, I'm not sure how aware you are that, you know, there are a large majority of speech language pathologists that don't really care for um, (laughs) BCBAs. Um, and are pretty anti-ABA, to be frank. But I, I'm going to have Lori on the podcast to just to discuss Ryan's Law and insurance, because I don't think that, and I don't know if they care, but I don't know, speech-language pathologists don't understand that, you know, I've been doing this 20 years, so it's like a long time ago, there wasn't even an RBT certification. That wasn't even, you know, I've seen the changes, I've seen the insurance change. Um, and I think they think like ABA is just growing all of a sudden out of, and there's so many BCBAs coming out of nowhere, but that all kind of goes hand in hand. And so I think that trajectory of growth that we've had in the field, while it's causing growing pains, right, in, the, in all the different areas that you're discussing, I think people that are not in the field don't understand how fast it's growing and why that is and, and things like that. So she's going to come on um, and discuss that because I think just speech therapists think, oh, here are the BCBAs and they're coming to to encroach on our practices and they get, you know, 20 to 40 hours a week of ABA and we get one hour of speech and that's been draining <laughs> to try yeah. to, to talk yeah. about that um, with speech language pathologists, but that's another show. Um, well, that that's great. You know, you talked about your values. And so as a, a clinic owner, I just connected with somebody on LinkedIn um, who's starting their own ABA agency. And I know as a small business owner myself, one of those ideas of having those values and those shared values, what are some things that you suggest when you're doing your consults or you're working with bigger organizations to... Number one, like, how do you communicate that to, of course, the administration or whoever the stakeholders are going to come up with what these values are as a group? But we know that we have to communicate that from, you know, the top person in the organization to somebody who's coming in an entry level position. So what are some strategies that you might have for people who are business owners as far as once you have your value system created, Mm -hmm. how do you, what do you embed that in so that people are reminded? Because, you know, my old school district, which I really loved working for, for the past 10 years had a mission statement. um, And it was like on a placard in the school, but we never really talked about it. I would see it all the time and I kind of liked it. It resonated with me. So it meant something to me, but I think people need reminded of those things. So what do you um, like recommend for people to do with that? Um, you know, uh, I think that uh, that is an excellent question, and it really depends on the nature of the organization. I'll be very honest with you. I have to kind of uh, get involved, and I often work very closely with leadership to kind of get a sense of the type of leadership that they provide. Um, but one thing I've noticed that I can say without pinpointing, you know, it's hard to give these generalities. There's no right. cookie cutter. Every organization is different. Everyone's yeah. going to have their own strengths. But one of the things that I've definitely noticed is 
is connection matters. Um, when an individual that's leading or the executive individuals who are leading are removed from the frontier level individuals who are providing services, mm-hmm. and those are the you know executives that they get to maybe hear at a common town hall, should they mm-hmm. get to access it, but right. that there is no connectivity, it really removes individuals from feeling like they're a part of an organization and they're all working together. It creates yeah. uh, separation. Mm-hmm. And it is really, to me, what I see is as simple as just keeping those communications open and being willing to be on the floors, being willing to, yeah. you know, visit in person, have those common conversations and blocking out time to say, this is the time I give the individuals of my organization to hear from them. It gives, I think, leadership real, real scenarios of what's happening, keeps them really in touch with what's happening at the floor level, mm-hmm. because as we grow, we get removed from the everyday chaos of what's happening when people are in the trenches, you know? Mm-hmm. And it also, at the same time, connects them at a deeper level to individuals so that they don't feel like they're working for these, you know, people who are behind the walls. I'm working for the supervisor, but we're all working for these individuals we don't know. And I think those connections are are a big part of what we can work on better. And I think it happens through those transparent conversations, but also just blocking out the time to prioritize your people, to prioritize the people who work for you. Yeah. Yeah, I would agree. My parents are both retired educators, but my mom would always make comments about, you know, if a principal hasn't been in your building or your classroom, they don't really understand what you're doing. Or when my special education director would observe me and, you know, they weren't a speech therapist. They don't know, you know, I'm just putting on my best show here. Um, But it does, it does remove you. And you're like, oh, yeah, wow, that looks like a lot of work. That looks hard. Like, but yeah. I understand what you're saying because I've definitely worked for people who were better at that. And then some people that you never ever see. And the people that you never ever see, you're just like, whatever. <laughs> yeah. Or, like, or first, you only see yes. them when you're in trouble. Yes. Or, you know, and right. that can happen inadvertently. Or yeah. you only see them when it's a spiffy, big time event right. and you're far removed from them as a person or they're yes. directly observing you for something. Like not just natural circumstances of open opportunities for conversations Mm -hmm. to be able to share. Um, So yeah, you nailed it. Yeah, that's a good reminder because I think sometimes people get so busy and the administration, which I understand, but it's like you do have to be visible. You have to be a support for people. I always say that too with team building. It's like we want to have this team so when things are really great, we can celebrate. And when then team when things are going not so great that we have a time to problem solve, like you said, and troubleshoot. So such good information. I love it. So where can people find out more about you and your work? Well, um, I have a website, alikazemi.com. You can find some of the information about me. The uh, truth is I post everything if I'm going to be on, on you know, a talk or if I'm going to be presenting something. So follow me on social media, alikazemi, and you'll know where I am. And I'd love to uh, meet you and talk to you. Great. Well, thank you so much for coming on. It was great to connect. Yeah, same. Thanks so much for doing this. Thanks for listening to Autism Outreach. If you enjoyed the show today, make sure to subscribe so you don't miss an episode full of actionable strategies you can use in your therapy room. Write a review too. That would mean so much to me. I always love hearing from you. Have a specific topic that you want included on a future show? Reach out over on Instagram, ABA Speech by Rose, or visit me at www.abaspeech.org.